I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome once again to the Purple Patch Podcast. This is your host as ever, Matt Dixon, and welcome. This week, guys, something a little different. It's an episode I've promised since launching our connection to you, the listener, with that mythical email, questions at purplepatchfitness.com. I've been encouraging you to well, ask me questions about anything related to performance, and we've been inundated. So thank you. Really appreciate it and encouraged by your interest. I've tried to answer about one question per week, but you know what? It's kind of time to play catch up. So this week, it's all about your questions. I dive in and I try to give you some honest and simple answers to the questions you have about performance. Of course, it's impossible to answer them all, so I'm sorry, but well, here is my best go. This week, it's going to be focused around racing, goals and season planning, perhaps timely for this year. And before you get frustrated, I plan to do another bonus episode in a couple of weeks. So I'll spread the focus there and we'll go a little broader than today. In the meantime, Please keep your questions coming in, questions at purplepatchfitness.com, and I will get to them just as soon as I can. Now, a quick note, if you do enjoy the show, as ever, sharing it with your friends, as well as a quick review on iTunes podcast, is always greatly appreciated. As you can imagine, it helps us spread the word, get our message to the people, so your support is genuinely welcomed. But before we get to your questions, first, that jingle. I know. Go on, you love it, don't you? I know. You do, don't you? All right, here it is, the jingle. We like the way he thinks, serious with the wings. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. This week, the word of the week is mastery. What is mastery? It's a process, a process of learning development, growth. In that process, we're going to fail. You're going to probably have to ask for support. You'll have to refine. You'll have to relearn. You'll have to evolve your thinking. You'll have to adapt to adversity. And then guess what? You're going to fail again. Mastery will require a transition of your habits. It will mean being open to change. It's willing to evolve your thinking. It will include a keen thirst of improvement and evolution, refusing to fall into complacency or believe that you've got it all figured out. I don't believe that you can master on your own. You're going to need to ask for support and advice and mentorship. You'll need accountability and you'll find that humility is going to emerge to become your biggest weapon of success. It's a dirty process, my friends, and it has many nuances and twists in the road. The quest should never end. The best people I've worked with love the journey towards excellence, the process to find mastery. It is why we ask all of our athletes to fall in love with the process, because we realize it's never linear, it's never a direct path. Great success will only come out of little failures and roadblocks that get managed and navigated successfully. It's a wonderful word, and it anchors you in your own personal quest to reach your human potential. So whatever your passion, it is why our word of the week 
This week is mastery. And now, let's get on with the meat and potatoes. Well, the meat and potatoes this week, it's all about you. We're going to hit questions about first-time Ironman athletes, a question about peeing riding your bike, the long run in an Ironman, and of course that question is going to apply to your marathon as well, as well as resetting goals about your breakout performance. I hope you enjoy it. The questions, as ever, come from our athletes and our listeners. And so let's dive in and let's get cracking. So guys, here comes the first question, and it is from Jonathan Foreman. Jonathan, thank you. And the first thing I want to do before I read out your question is the shout out. The most important part of this question in many ways, because you guys, you and your mates are off to Portugal just this weekend for 70.3 Portugal. So best of luck. I hope it goes well. Ryan, Jeff, Darren, Joe, and you, Jonathan, your first time Ironman 70.3. So. Your question is, firstly, what are your best tips for first-timers that have never gone through this before? And then secondly, a bit more nuanced, and why I actually bring this question up is, what about peeing when I'm out there? It's going to be a journey for you. Well, the first part of your question, Jonathan, I would say that I think it's really important to frame what success is. Anytime someone does an event, a challenging event for the first time, It's really about how to frame success. So we could be talking about an Ironman, a marathon, an Ironman 70.3, an ultra distance trail run. I think the first time that you go through these types of experiences, your mission should be firstly to have a wonderful experience. And that means laying on the side of caution. You're looking to go and train all day. It sounds really simplistic, but no matter the level of the athlete, if you can go into this thing and say, I'm going to go and put together my best training sessions that I've done, in your case, in swim, bike and run. And if I can go and train all day, it just happens to be a very nasty training day that you're doing. You can retain consistency throughout the day. And success is firstly having a wonderful experience, but finishing and saying, you know what? I feel like I could have gone a little faster because if you have that feeling and then the chances are that you've got a great platform to build from, you're going to have that enjoyable experience and you're going to be thirsty for more. There's nothing worse than being overly ambitious, overly aggressive and making it a death march. We don't develop from it physiologically very well. We don't learn too much from it. And so I would anchor on the side of caution and think about training all day. I'd also encourage you to retain hydration on the bike and constantly remain aware of your fueling. How are my sensations? Am I losing focus? Am I losing energy? Am I feeling shaky? Am I losing motivation? If you are, it's calories every time. And finally, you're going to make mistakes. Make fun of yourself for making those mistakes. It's okay. Every time you go through an experience for the first time, it's like change. It's difficult. But enjoy the day, enjoy the competition, enjoy the event, and remain humble. Now, practically, peeing. What should you do on peeing? Well, the first thing is, don't super hydrate before this. 
it's probably going to be warm, it's in Portugal, but retain your hydration status. And the lighter training that you're going into the event means that you don't need to become a camel just because you're going to go on an adventure. Yes, you want to actually retain and maintain proper hydration status, but you don't need to force feed yourself with too many bottles of fluid. As you go through the day, you'll actually be surprised you likely won't need to pee too much on the bike. And so if you do need a pee, and then, well, there's the triathlete's mantra, which is, hey, just go and pee. You stop pedaling, you stand up. But I could never tell you to do that. This is a public podcast. So, yeah, if you need to stop, hey, it's your first one. Stop, take the quick pee. But remember, every second counts, so get back on your bike and get cracking as quickly as possible. Where you may need to go to the bathroom is transition, and every Ironman 70.3 event is going to have bathrooms in that transition. The key, don't mess around. Don't pack the Wall Street Journal. Get in there, get out, get back on the bike, or get back to the run as soon as possible. I hope that helps. I wanted to answer that question for first-timers, as we have many. But most importantly, I wanted to give a shout-out to you and your mates. So let's fast forward. Let's take a different question now and let's go to someone who I know who asked me this question over email and is a much more experienced athlete. But I think it's a really relative question and it's about a question that I get a lot when it comes to both marathon training and Ironman marathon training. So this question is from Seth in British Columbia and Jonathan, you're in London So now we're going all the way across the Atlantic and all the way to the West Coast up in British British Columbia and Canada, a lovely place, a lovely part of the world. And Seth's question is anchoring around the duration of long runs leading into an Ironman. Now, when I talk about this, we can actually extend this to a very similar philosophy if you're getting ready for a marathon or even a half marathon. And so we can talk about this. But here's the question. In looking through the upcoming prescribed training sessions, Seth is a purple patch athlete, all of the endurance runs are in the 90 to 105 minute range, most with a strength focus. Can you explain some of the rationale behind this approach to running, specifically in the Ironman build? Specifically, I'm looking for some reassurance that it's okay to go into an Ironman race without doing too many runs over two hours. Well, there's a caveat to this question because leading into the race as uh, Seth asked me this question he's still six to eight weeks out of his Ironman he actually is going to get a couple of two hour plus runs but the context in the question is still valuable so let me answer it like this for you Seth so firstly running long extended duration is valuable but we have to put what running long is in context it is not the thing that creates Ironman performance. And in fact, for many, I would argue that it isn't a strong enough stimulus to change too much physiologically outside of general fitness and muscular endurance. And those are good. It's important to obviously have the fitness to carry off. And it's great to have the experience and the confidence that you can run long. And yes, we are looking for muscular resilience, but it isn't the anchor. And what is good is counterbalanced with the high risk of injury and poor running practice. You see, when we think about training for running, whether it's a half marathon, marathon or an Ironman, 
The truth is that the mission for training and indeed racing is to run as well as you can, for as long as you can, as often as you can. And for the vast majority of amateur athletes, this means that we never want to put a bad step forward because risk occurs at that point. So the question is, as I as a coach take a step back, is what are we looking to achieve with this long run? Well, yes, we're looking to achieve endurance and resilience. And we're looking to actually train ourselves emotionally to get ready for the duration of the event that you're going to be challenged with on race day. But we can achieve that in many ways. And here's an example. Imagine if I asked you to go out and say, go out and run for three hours. Well, by definition, for the vast majority of athletes, that three hours is going to be done very slow, well below race pace, unless you're absolutely destroying yourself. And much of that running is going to likely occur with a declining running form. You're going to have a declining running form that's going to increase cost, increase the risk of injury and extend the recovery time. So it's going to have a high impact on the fabric of the block of training. So how do I get to, as a coach, the same physiological responses, but maybe in a little bit of an out-of-the-box thinking way? Well, instead of that, what would happen in our case study if I gave you a 60-minute run on Friday? On Saturday, I asked you to do a split run where you do 90 in the morning and 45 at night. And then maybe on Sunday, even for certain athletes who are a little more resilient, you add a third run in of 45 to 60 minutes. But within that block of work, you achieve a lot of the run at or above race pace. And the majority of those runs are going to be done with very good form, at least your version of very good form. You now have more total time of running with great resilience development and better quality running form and pace. And guess what? You come out of it, you need a couple of days recovery and you go right back in. Well, in that block, you haven't done a run over 90 minutes and yet you might have accumulated at or more total duration of your marathon readiness to get ready and it's done with a really high quality. And so, yes, running long occasionally is good and if needed, especially for confidence, we'll put it in there. But realize that in the big mission of it all, the long run is not going to be your direct route for you being ready to run great off the bike in a nine-man. I hope that helps with some context, Seth. Try and give you some insight. Of course, it's nuanced. Occasionally, I do have athletes run longer than what I've talked about today. But hey, many of our pro athletes, their longest run that they would do is somewhere between an hour and 50 minutes and two hours and 10 minutes. And so not particularly long when it comes to that. Okay, guys, so we are two questions in. We're going to dig into question number three. And this is from Jennifer Henkel, who I think, Jennifer, you're based in Europe, judging by where you recently raced. But your question is focused around maintaining fitness without the pressure to race. And so here's your question. I recently finished a concentrated campaign to qualify for and compete at the ITU Age Group World Championships in Denmark. I'd strictly been a short course athlete in the past and had to quickly switch gears to compete at the much longer distance. Your recent podcast really struck a chord with me as I'm pleased to say that I took all the steps in my control and ability on that race day to maximise performance. 
and I'm quite satisfied with the resultant feelings. In fact, the results, although very satisfying, were almost irrelevant of how I ended up feeling after the race. But here's my question. I worked in such a concentrated fashion to have the best day possible that I have little motivation to race any time in the future. So how would you recommend maintaining fitness without the pressure to race any time soon? I work hard for this level of fitness and I don't want to let go whatever endeavor I choose. Well, I think first, I think you should acknowledge that this is a really normal feeling and it's a, it's a great feeling. It's no feeling to have. You have great success. You've focused. You've been goal driven and you're out the other side of it. Now I've talked about before that when you come out of a big event like this and the stress comes off, you often go through a period, which is different for different athletes of almost lethargy. Some would sometimes call it post-Olympic blues, as a lot of Olympic athletes fall into some form of what you might call depression as they come out. Their whole reason for meaning has been stripped away with them after such focus over a four-year cycle. Well, to a less extent, that's going to happen to you now. You know that you're satisfied. You know that you want to continue to evolve and improve. But the idea of going back to having that much focus right now isn't that appealing. And that's okay. So I think the first thing that I would say is, look, you don't want to stop growing, but it doesn't mean that you have to be a maniacal, over-obsessed triathlete as you carry on to embrace a growth mindset. The central key to your success is the word training. Training is specific and progressive. It's not exercise, which is good, but it's random. So if you go into random exercise right now, my prediction is that you will go into decline. You have a decline of fitness, performance, and probably the effect, the positive effect that happens in your life. And so I still really like targets and goals, but I think you should have a broad range of things that maybe you target towards. This might be a great time that you continue to progress your fitness and progression as a multi-sport athletes, but you throw in some different things. Maybe a little trail running, maybe even a cross-country ski or two, maybe some mountain biking, but some different stuff that can stimulate you. On top of that, if you really don't find yourself falling back into wanting to compete anytime soon, I think that you still need a mission. Now, I hate it when coaches do this, but I'm going to do it now. Me. I'm going to give you as an example. Now, you certainly don't want to mimic my journey as a professional athlete, which was wholly underwhelming and unimpressive. But me now, as the leader of Purple Patch, as a coach, I don't race. I have no desire. But I would fail if I simply exercised. So I still train. I track somewhat because I want to see a little bit of self-accountability. And I set little goals for myself. Very occasionally, I do a fun event. For example, in December, I'm going to do a trail marathon. Well, I'm not doing that to see what I can do as much as I'm doing it to anchor a little bit of accountability and go and have a fun day out with my friends. You see, it creates an anchor in the progression. What I really don't like is random. And so for you to avoid random, you must make a mission out of the journey. What is that? Well, I'd need to know you to actually know but it can be qualitative or quantitative or a blend of the both. It shouldn't be obsessive. It should include a healthy understanding of why you do the sport in itself. I, myself, do it to remain healthy. 
It provides an outlet and it is a gateway for me to have good energy and performance for my work and family. And that's enough. But I still need targets and mission. And that's what I think you do too. Now, one final word. Don't panic. Focus on the little progression journey. Go and have some fun outside. And guess what? In three weeks, six weeks, ten weeks, six months, whatever it might be, you might start to think different and you might start to anchor towards a race. And guess what? If you're open to it, your body and mind will tell you that. So best of luck. Enjoy a little time of unstructure and then get focused on training. You just don't have to be obsessively training for an event. I hope that helps, Jennifer. Thanks so much. Uh, We're going to go to another breakthrough performance now. We've got two more questions left for the show. And this again, Super Steve Eastman, thank you very much for the question, but no location. Guys, we'd love to hear where you're listening from. It really helps us. We can check it on our uh, little spreadsheets and things, but we'd love to know where the questions come. So Steve, I'm not sure where you're from. But I do know that you've had a breakthrough performance. So good stuff. Here's your question. When I did my first half Ironman in 2015, I set a goal of breaking five and a half hours, something I hadn't achieved in my first 370.3s until this weekend. Being a classic time-starved athlete with a demanding job, travel and two kids. I know you well, Steve. One with quite severe special needs who is a special running stroller for many of my long runs. I can typically only achieve about eight plus hours of training in my biggest weeks with it really being six to seven hours of of the norm. That sounds like a purple patch athlete right there. But previously, my workouts had just been about getting in the time or distance. Over the last year, I evolved. Started listening to the podcast and read the book, The Fast Track Triathlete. Thank you very much, Steve. I really appreciate it. And over time... I've changed a few things. Increased specificity, making the hard days really hard and the easy really easy. Focusing more on recovery with fueling afterwards, foam roller in the evenings and globally better nutrition and daily energy management. Good stuff. That's what I like to hear. Well, I thought you'd be pleased to hear that this Sunday, now it's a couple of weeks ago, Santa Cruz, it all came together and I beat my previous PR by 29 minutes and I finished in 5.13, which is absolutely fantastic to hear you talked about breakthrough performance on your on your podcast well here is finally my question guys i'm making you guys listening to a big question here now that i've had that breakthrough performance how do i suggest i go about resetting my goals for next season i'm 49 and i don't want this to be the pinnacle of my career in addition i'm a mid-pack swimmer at best and so in light of the limited time that i do have available what advice would you have for maximizing the return I'll get with two to three 45 to 50 minute swims I can squeeze into each week? Well, firstly, Steve, the good news is at 49 and being relatively young in the sport, you have no reason to believe that you are anywhere near a plateau. It's a complete myth that you can't continue to improve, evolve and grow and get better in the sport. In fact, when you've had a performance like this and you're at this age, There's a few things that you can do to recycle your newfound philosophy, your working philosophy that has been so successful for you now that you've applied it for a season. But the saying that I like is start seeing yourself as the athlete you want to be. So you are now that athlete. So now you have to recast how you look at yourself and become familiar with that. 
I would then take a step back and ask yourself a question. What do you really want out of this sport? It's obviously a great facilitator as a social release, good for your health, probably good for your energy throughout the workday and everything that you have in your family and other sides of your life. But you need a goal and you need a mission and now you need to evolve that goal or mission to fit and synchronize with who you are as an athlete. And missions and goals for someone like you, I'm guessing, should be a little scary and a little daunting. My guess is a year ago, you probably couldn't quite see yourself as a sub five and a half hour Ironman 70.3 athlete, but now it is reality. And so I would recast the mission and do something that's a little scary. And it doesn't need to necessarily be time-based. It could be an event that you train for that maybe you thought is more demanding. It could be a different challenge altogether. Or yes, it could be now I want to go 450 or better or whatever the goal is. The key is that you shouldn't just keep on the normal training step schedule. In your case, I would plan to recycle the process you did with success this year, but your mission should be to do it better. Take the lessons that you learned, reapply the habits, but before you dive into that cycle of training that comes in the next year, I would anchor on some stuff that you can do now to help lay the platform to improve. So with who you are, that might be looking at strength training, really making it a priority over the post-season and pre-season block of work, anchoring in strength, keeping it consistent, and ensuring that you're continuing to do really good mobility work, including your foam roller. I would also double down on strength-based endurance training, a lot of low cadence work, a lot of end of range work doing some very, very high intensity and high power and high cadence work on the bicycle and a lot of strength based running. I think those two pieces combined will really be good platforms the second year that you do it to make you much more successful than even you were in this year. And then we come to the swim. Well, more than anything else, if you can, I'd really encourage you to do a winter swim project. So you might actually run a little less. Yep, you do that strength-based running, but you probably bring down your running consistency a little bit over the winter months, even probably understanding that it's actually probably the most convenient thing for you. If you can find a way to sneak an extra swim in a week, it's absolutely perfect. But your swimming over this winter should be with a little bit of technical development and you're doing all of that technical development with tools or toys. So you're not spending your time doing drills. You're actually developing fitness and resilience with a technical focus. And then because you've got less total time to train to generate the stimulus, there's a whole bunch of very high intensity. Work on speed, 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 power, 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 as much as you possibly can. Because as a time-starved athlete, if you have less time and then it's speed and intensity is always the global rule for success. So you're not done, you're young in the sport, and you're nowhere near the development cycle. Oh, and one last thing I would say, there's probably nothing like a coach to help your situation so that they can personally address your needs. Just saying, as a coach, of course. All right, guys, the final question for today. We've been cracking on, so we're going to give you one more. And this is from Eric Pearson. It's a great question. 
Again, no location. Super Eric, please give us your location. We want to know where you guys are when you apply your questions. But this is a great last question around season planning. And so we're going to make this the queen question of today's show. So what is the appropriate time between events? Ironman 70.3 to Ironman. So here's Eric's question. After listening to the podcast, I read the book, The Fast Track Triathlete, and I've adopted the strategy in my time staff training as I continue the journey for Ironman. Thus far, I've completed my first Ironman 70.3 and a setup for Ironman Boulder next year. So my question for amateur age groupers, when you're planning a race season, what type of spacing do you think is ideal between events? Say a B 70.3 race and an A Ironman. I'm sure it depends but I'd love your insight. Well, Eric, it does depend. It is a slightly athlete dependent, but I think it's a great question. I'm going to give you some context that I hope will be helpful to you as well as listeners. It's actually a really, really timely question as so many are beginning to shift their lens to next season and planning their events. So I think that there are a few considerations that might help you in the context of planning your events. First, I think it's important for me to remind you of the process. So in general terms, when you think about season planning, we have to think about it in terms of athlete development. So rather than just picking events and then building training around it, I really believe that the mission should be anchored in developing the athlete first so that we can facilitate long-term development. So in general terms, that means the first part of your year of training, which is typically taken up with post-season and pre-season training, we're looking to develop physiologically. So that's the part of training, typically about 40% of the calendar year, that we're actually looking to create long-term development, improve strengths, work on weaknesses. So in post-season, that's typically typical in nature on focus, and then the, and it's preparation for the tough work upcoming. And in pre-season, that allows development of aspects such as speed, strength, and power, and maybe types of training that isn't quite as race-specific that you're going to do later in the year. After you've done that, then it is time to do the specific training for the demands of your races. And of course, that's the race-specific cycles of training. Now, most athletes typically have time in a season to go through two cycles of somewhere between 8 and 14 weeks of race-specific cycles of training. So typically for North American athletes, that's between around May until October. Now, that is when you're training or dress rehearsing for your races. And the reason we think about that is when we think about season planning, it's great to compete in early races in the year but I wouldn't expect or be pulled into overly focusing on race-specific training for those races. And so when we think about this, yes, athlete development, dress rehearsal, you can race throughout the year, but realize when you're doing so, you're not just getting pulled off of your athlete development and training for those early races. If you're North American, that would be those races that occur in maybe late March, April, and even early May. You're still in pre-season, you're getting fit. They're great chances to experiment and try new things, but they're not the defining thing that you're hanging your shingle on so far as season planning. So when it also comes to race season, the second point I'd make is not to make the monthly mistake. So what I mean by that is I'm typically not a massive fan of planning one race on a monthly basis throughout the race season. 
So many athletes do a race in early April, early May, early June, early July, early August, and then show up to their September goal race only to underperform. Well, if you just take a step back from that concept and you think about progression, if we can agree that a race week is not a great week of training, and the week following a race when you're having to recover and rebuild into training is also not the best week of training, what we're looking at there from suddenly April until August is 50% of your available training time is less optimal training. The rhythm just doesn't work. And actually what we sometimes see when athletes just train once a month for multiple months in a row is a decline in overall performance and fitness. So it's no wonder when you want a lift and you want to be great at your key race, in your case an Ironman, that you end up flat and underperforming. You don't have the resilience. And so instead of that, I much prefer choosing races, sometimes clustered relatively close to each other with a little bit of bridge training, and then leaving yourself space to have five to eight really quality weeks of training between races so that you can develop focus, rhythm, and get some lessons from the rhythms that really help you. Of course, you're also gaining the adaptations that enable you to race. And so for race planning for you, I would look to experiment with a couple of races that are maybe back to back, only one or two weeks apart, and then plan some extended blocks of specific training that you can move forward with your season, your development, and of course, your race readiness. The third point of the question, well, this is really where you get to the meat and potatoes of the question. What's the timing of Ironman 70.3 races going into an Ironman? Well, to really address that when we acknowledge that the Ironman 70.3 is not going to be the goal race. Anytime you've got an Ironman, that's, well, nearly any time, that is the goal race. I think that you have a few options. In general, I tend to like these rhythms, and I think you might be surprised when I tell you this. Firstly, racing two weeks prior to the Ironman. As much as it might not be intuitive, for many people, a race two weeks prior to your Ironman is a really good option as it's a pretty easy rhythm to manage. It's the last hard session that you do, from which then you recover and sharpen and carry it to a big day. So if you're pretty confident and you're able to race two weeks before a race, not such a bad timing. The second option is six or seven weeks prior to a race. This is a perfect time to race because from that last big, from that race six or seven weeks before your Ironman, you can then recover and then get to still map your last big block of training going into the bigger race. And that's going to happen three to five weeks out of your actual Ironman event. So around seven weeks before, a really good timing. You're fit, you're strong. It gives you a little bit of break to likely prevent massive fatigue accumulation, and then you still get to recover from it and go to your last block of Ironman work. The final rhythm that I sometimes like, and it's ironic how I started the answer to your question, four weeks out. I actually tend to plan this less, and it is an option. The key, though, is you don't want to race four and seven weeks prior. And so if you choose the four-week option, in this scenario, you do your Ironman training, you train very strong, and you finish the last block of work with a couple of days rest and you go and race an Ironman 70.3. 
You've now done an Ironman 70.3 is the last big thing of your Ironman block. And your mission now is to really recover well. And that takes courage because you're starting to get to sniffing distance of your race. But you've got to clean out first because you're cleaning out not just from the, the race itself, but from that last block of Ironman work. Then what you do from there is the final cycle of training is a regular block of Ironman work, but with just less stress so that you're actually probably around 80% of a regular block of work. But that block of work has the same rhythm, it's familiar to you, and you still have capacity to do some strong work in there. Now in this scenario, the rest into the race must be short, because you've done one block of work without accumulating deep fatigue off of some great rest following that race that was four weeks prior. So you probably only need about 48 to 72 hours of a, what I call a three-day drop-off into the race. Well, this is a really, really good option, especially for athletes who respond poorly, either emotionally or physically, to longer tapers. So that does it for all the questions I can get through today in the show. Season planning, goal setting and performance. As I mentioned at the top of the show, In a couple of weeks, we'll come back and we're going to go further afield on different topics as we have so many questions to get through. But in the meantime, if you want to learn more about season performance and planning and how we like to create the journey to excellence for performance-driven enthusiasts and athletes, I decided to create a free educational video to you. All you need to do is head to purplepatchfitness.com. That's purplepatchfitness.com slash season planning or one word, season planning. If you head there, enjoy, it's about a seven to 10 minute video that we talk about our mindset and we delve deeper into season planning. Of course, we'll put it in the show notes, but head there. And as ever, keep the questions coming in. Questions at purplepatchfitness.com. Now, coming up in the next few weeks, what have we got? Well, next week, we're gonna do a special, the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. I'm going to do my take on the race, how to succeed there, and probably include a few funny stories and experiences from beneath the surface. I don't think you have to be a triathlete to learn from what we're going to talk about, and certainly appreciate my thoughts on success in one of the world's toughest endurance competitions. We're also going to be talking to a very special guest, author Alex Hutchinson. Many of you guys would have read his latest book, Endure. It's a wonderful book. And I think he's one of the very, very special and very interesting leaders in the world of performance. He's also been highly involved in Nike's two-hour project for the marathon. And we'll probably have a little chat to him about that 201 that we saw just a couple of weeks ago. So it's all coming soon. Stay tuned. And as ever, genuinely, thank you for listening. Take care, guys.